You have reached the voicemail box of Game Thing Season 4 Horror. You have 8 new messages. Tuesday, the 14th of March at 11:06 a.m. Well, 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 well. It's Pippin. I assume I'm talking to David and it looks it looks like we're finally escaping from the spooky house of horror that we've been exploring. Uh, we played 10 games together alone, two of them in the preseason. Uh, and what do we know now? I kind of feel like we're both just scratching the surface of what this genre is about, but also that we've gotten into the rhythm of horror and felt some of its key ideas. You know, we've laughed, we've cried, we've screamed in fear, uh, we've snorted. <laughs> Uh, and as I said uh, in the opening to this when I suggested this theme, um, I wanted to look at what it means for something to be scary in a horror game and how those effects were designed and executed, the sort of design perspective. And we never really did build an elaborate taxonomy of scares, but I do think that we have ended up with some ideas about what's scary and how it's done. And one of the things I go back to of unsurprisingly, is we talked a lot about ambiguity and instability. Um, that idea that maybe the real key of horror is not knowing what's going to happen next. Uh, but we also, I think, found that not all horror games are even trying to be scary, or they're not trying hard. That's not their point. They're more kind of about horror as an aesthetic layer on a generally fun experience, you know? Like a new flavor sachet for the standard noodles of play, <laughs> if I may. And that's fine too. That, that actually, I don't know why it surprised me, but it did. I really did go into this thinking all of the games would try and scare the bejesus out of us, but the bejesus stayed put for, for a few of them, and I think that they were, they were okay with that. Uh, I did promise I'd read a book um, Bernard Perron's um, The World of Scary Video Games, and I didn't really talk about it as much as I should have, and I didn't finish reading it uh, as much as I should have. <laughs> uh, but there is literally a taxonomy of scares in that book, and I really should have talked more about that, so mark that down as a regret for me. Uh, but what about you, uh, David? When we started this, as you pointed out more than once, you hadn't played much in the way of horror, and you specifically said that horror games don't really do it for you. And so I'm left wondering, like, you know, how was it for you after playing 10 of these things? Did you feel an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust as per the definition of horror? And did we miss anything? Was there anything you were dying to say but didn't find the right moment for? Um, and, you know, what do you know now that you didn't before? And is your spine tingled in the end? Tuesday, the 14th of March. At 12.11 p.m. Hey, Pippin. This is the end. Things end. And I don't believe my spine was tingled. Certainly anatomy was high on the list of the scariest thing uh, we played for horror. I, but I, you know, I've scheduled an MRI just to make sure and see when tingling um, occurred and recurred. <laughs> 
and uh, it's funny to hear now after just giving myself over to horror so much in the last you know two and a half months or so I mean it's right I did say that I kind of forgot I said that that was my whole deal <laughs> before we did this that like oh horror doesn't do it for me which I guess you know was my way of saying uh, horror games don't usually scare me in the way that I've seen horror games scare my friends and you know, what I largely remember before this is horror games just kind of made me a little tense from time to time, and anatomy was different. I think we're going to talk a fair bit about anatomy in this um, wrap-up before we call it and move on, but I, I'm i sure you have thoughts, too, and it was, it was your pick, and I sort of want to let you have the first dance with it, but um, horror as an aesthetic layer... I think um, is more what we ran into. And that's such a good way of putting it. And typing up my notes on this season this morning, I realized how much of what we've been talking about has been, for me, this question, um, to what extent are horror games scary due to the mechanics of horror versus the trappings of horror? And I talked plenty about puzzles and how narrative and story is used uh, for a sleight of hand to just sort of basically distract you before they poke or startle you, but I think, like, you know, trappings of horror meaning more, like, the way Resident Evil 4, for example, example felt like a uh, seasonal Halloween store. Um, we compared other games, too, to, like, roller coasters or rides, and um, I think, you know, the more successful scares or going beyond tension for me was in another sleight of hand, which is, like, how developers sort of fool you into thinking that you as the player are, are playing it safe when really you're not. Or I guess it's like how expectations of challenge in a game can sort of be turned on its head and screw with you or how it's it's basically like, yeah, we know, we know that you know you're playing a game, but you don't know what's coming. Um, you know, like I talked in Saturnalia about how you can't even go inside to get away from the monster, um, whereas in most games, you know, usually you can find some respite. Um, you know, in Sweet Home... Most JRPGs usually have like an inn you can save at, and uh, there's no such luck. And you know, a lot of games mess with our our sense of progress. But um, how about you? You know, what do you, what's on your mind? Tuesday, the fourteenth of March at eight p.m. Hey, David. Nothing so scary as potentially hearing the background of a four-year-old talking to his mother, but here we are. With uh, this, this wrap-up, as always, I'm, I'm interested in figuring out three game things that I'm you know, still thinking about or want to think about more or you know, just will think about more, regardless of whether I can really unpack them here. And... You know, I think over the over the season, we've spent lots of time uh, thinking about overarching ways that horror works, like some of the big themes, and I I definitely I definitely do want to return to that. Uh, but for just now, one of the things that really one of the game things that really strikes me across the season are the moments that were horrible. You know. The sound that you can't forget, the thing that you can't unsee, the act that you can't undo, right? Things that stay with you and register in a moment and leave an impression. And there weren't 
lots and lots of those over the season. Um, but, you know, memorable things are rare. Uh, but, you know, what were they? So I think, you know, anatomy is perhaps the game that struck me the most. And of all of the things in anatomy, the thing I fear the most still is that screaming type um, in one of the iterations of the house where you turn it on or maybe it, sometimes it's capable of, of turning itself on and there's just screaming and no explanation, no reason, just screaming. And I think about it still and it still freaks me out and I still still really don't want to hear it again, but I can't forget it. And there are things like that across different games. I think in Who's Lila? The thing that stayed with me the most was our character being asked about the murder of Tanya Kennedy, and without you doing anything, he starts smiling. Um, and this is early on, I think, too, when you're not expecting his face to change without your input. So he he starts smiling, and you're you know you're trying to wrestle his face back into a, a more dignified expression, but he keeps trying to smile, and that that's a horrible moment. Uh, in Mirror Layers, you know, a shout out, I think, to the, the first monster that's kind of, I think, hitting the television and then sp as soon as you get near, it spins and comes for you. It's, it's such a classic horror movie thing, but it was executed really well, I think, in game, in game form. Uh, Saturnalia, uh, you know, you know me and Damiano, that, that moment of being betrayed by the person I thought I could trust the most in the game world was beautiful. The whispering menu was horrifying and scary as well. Um, Saturnalia did a, did a lot of stuff that was surprising. Um, and there are others too, but you know, they're important most of all because they stay with me, right? Like I'm still able to reel these off without even really needing to think about it. They're the big things that I remember from those games. And I still don't want, you know, I still don't want to hear the screaming tape. I still don't want to hear the whispering uh, in Saturnalia's menu because they, st they just make me so uncomfortable and they, they worried me. Uh, but I think in a larger sense than that, they're part of the promise of horror in general, right? And maybe horror games in particular, which is the threat that they will find a way to scare you properly, um, to leave you uncomfortable, shocked, worried, worried that there will be more coming. Tuesday, the 14th of March at 8.29 p.m. Hey, Pippin, it's David. Mm. Sort of shifting from worrying about, you know, yourself in these games, like something that really struck me and sort of surprised me, honestly, um, that popped up. I mean, I don't know. That's like an old journalism thing. Hey, if you can name three examples, it's a trend. Um, but I think just given like across the timeline that we skipped across and where we played stuff from when. Um, I have to think it isn't purely random how often in horror games um, you can just extend kindness to others. Like um, in Bad Mojo, you can help the baby rats. In Resident Evil 4, you can set the dog free. I know there are others. <laughs> and as I understand it, in the Resident Evil 4 remake, uh, you actually can't help the dog because the dog is already dead. So, 
are we becoming more cruel or is it just, you know, doing what horror does and catching you off guard? So, but I think, you know, the space in a horror game to be kind, remember, it costs you nothing to be kind. I mean, I guess like in a way, um, it's about reminding you as the player that like whatever is going on with you as the main character, like you're still human beneath it all. I mean, even while in danger, however immediate, you know, you still have a moral compass. You, um, I mean, I don't know if it leads to like a deeper sense of the world. Cause I think like these are all animal examples I can think of. Like, I think it's a little different in video games. Cause I think the expectation when you sort of are dealing with other humans in a game, I think we're just too conditioned to expect some sort of transaction or you would only do something for a non-playable character or some sort of reward. Um, I mean, what's the baby rat going to do for you, right? Um, it's just the right thing to do. So um, I do want to kick it over to you to sort of revisit something that I raised in D, you know, all this business and horror games, talking about other people, like it just reminds me of the question I had for you, which is, you know, do stories and horror games matter? Why can some seem to get away with it uh, without having much of one? And I mean, you are the bigger horror fan than me coming in. So I'm just interested to hear where you fall down on this, what you've kind of learned to look for in horror games and uh, what you've learned to make do with um you know, if it's not really giving you much of a story. So, all right, bye. Tuesday, the 14th of March, at 10.26 p.m. Well, if you were a dog stuck in a bear trap, David, I hope you know that I would uh, let you go so long as you helped me out with El Gigante later on. But that is actually something I was uh, wanting to talk about, too, it actually came to me more because of Sweet Home and its mechanic, which I think you talked about more than I did, of being able to call on the assistance of the other team or someone else to come and help you when you're fighting those maggots that you can't quite defeat. Um, but you're right, it is a trend. I think that this is something we see in a bunch of the games. You know, Mirror Layers has its social media platform that lets you communicate with and help other players and receive help from them. Uh, in Saturnalia, of course, so much of it is about rescuing your friends or helping to figure things out that they want to know. And frankly, even at the end of uh, D, when you shoot your father, you're kind of putting him down. It's... Uh, it's a bit of a mercy killing, and he's clearly happy about it himself. Um, but do stories matter in horror? I mean, of course, you know, they can. Um, but there are all kinds of stories out there, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a roller coaster, gothic sci-fi nonsense fest, or a threatening and unclear ghost story or something else. Um, but stories are risky, right, because they can suggest a shape that has you in the center, that has a specific dramatic structure that makes you seem destined to survive. Um, not that you have to tell a story that way either, right? But those are often implications. Um, but yes, yeah, so much of what we've seen as being effective in these horror games has literally been about the game's breaking rules that you might think are established to show you that you don't actually know what's going to happen. But shading a bit out 
uh, from story, one of the things I've been noticing when I think back across the season is the relevance of setting uh, to how I've responded to the various games. Um, specifically, I've tended to find the more fantasy-oriented settings, like you know, Dracula's Castle, Ultra Haunted House, Zombie Village. I found those a lot less impactful because I guess for me they double down on how fictional the scenario is. Whereas in games that are set in a more kind of recognizable present or almost present and in a kind of relatable space, they tend to have more of a chance to get their hooks in uh, to me. So Anatomy's domestic space, uh, Who's Lila's familiar kind of ecology of home, school and house parties, Saturnalia's very lived-in village. Um, these are places I can relate to and there are places that kind of say this could be you. You could live here and you could have to live through this. Um, and I think that gives someone like me especially who's not the most imaginative maybe a chance to settle into my character or characters and accept the scares as they come um, as being a little more real. Um, but importantly too I think you know this, those sorts of spaces um, would normally be safe and calm known places um, and the destabilizations and, and kind of surprises and shocks that come along with horror then are worse, right? They're more awful uh, because they are breaking apart something that you feel like you know. You should be safe um, so the monster hurts you all the more. Yeah. Is there a place that sticks with you um, in the games that we've played? Tuesday, the 14th of March at 11.19 p.m. Are there places that stick with me, places that get to me? I mean, maybe this will sound like a, a dodge or a hedge or some sort of semantic judo, but um, thinking back on horror, I think it's less individual spaces than the experience of space that has stuck with me. Um... So Bad Mojo would be an example of a big one, <laughs> no pun intended, you know, the world beneath our feet. Um, also, you know, claustrophobia, um, which we experienced in a bunch of them. I mean, in Alone in the Dark, just the experience of being in a body itself was unpleasant and unpredictable. And we saw this in D also, where <clears throat> just moving around you know, makes you feel helpless and you really can't see what's around any corner and you're where any step you take is sort of a corner in itself. Um, you know, Who's Lila did this too in a related way, sort of kind of turning everyday ordinary environments into mazes. Um, mazes that really had no real recognizable earth logic. And I don't know. I mean, I think to me... I really relate to what you said about, like, settings being a standout thing. I think to me often, like, thinking about games and how to get interested in them, like, if they have an unusual setting, that's usually enough for me where I'll give it a shot. Um, but I think for horror, you know, I don't think it's really... I don't necessarily care if it's believable so long as there's some gravitational pull, something reeling you in. Or I guess it's like it has to... The setting has to serve as like a character in the story, and so I guess like for horror, what that means, what it's meant for me is like it has to feel like something happened here, something bad, and 
I mean, I guess that's about the writing or thinking about the work that goes into creating an environment. It's about the con- it's about the context. It's about logic. It's about the consistency. It's about the level of thought that goes into it. So it's not enough that it's just dark. We see a lot of horror games that are dark. I think it's that um, the environment has to be both believable and just horribly unbelievable. Wednesday, the 15th of March, at 10.31 a.m. Morning, David. Sorry to miss you, but it's probably for the best. I just wanted to kind of get my final thought out of my system, which is that so far we haven't really talked (laughs) about the fact that games are interactive, or not directly, right? And if there's something novel that a game can do with this horror stuff, the stuff of horror. It's, you know, it's presumably around interactivity, which you got out of it, I think, you know, in terms of the idea of the experience of space, and I think that's an important dimension. Uh, but I was thinking about a quote, finally, <laughs> in the uh, Bernard Perron book that I've been reading this season. Um, he, he quotes uh, an author called Wayne A. Davis, uh, who wrote a paper called The Varieties of Fear in Philosophical Studies. And he says, quote, fear denotes several different, though related, psychological states. We can be afraid of something, uh, which he calls reactive fear, afraid to do something, afraid that something will happen, propositional fear, uh, or simply afraid, experiential fear. And for games, I think it makes sense, at least, to center on that that middle pair, afraid to do something, afraid that something will happen, uh, because those are active, uh, right? And I think games operate at, at many, many different levels. And I, I was sort of thinking about this idea of the affordances of fear. Like, what are the, the hooks and interactions that speak directly to being afraid um, which is, after all, I think, you know, what maybe we've been most interested in finding in these games, even if we found other things, too. And not to taxonomize, but here are a few of the things I've noticed over the season, one of which is this kind of uh, meta-fear of fears related to I'm playing a game, um, like being afraid of not knowing what to do, uh, being afraid of not being skillful enough to do what needs doing, even if you know what it is. Uh, Afraid of losing control, Uh, you know, as players, we're used to being in direct control, and so when a game takes that away, it can be scary. Afraid of diminishing resources, uh, that we might run out of things. And all of these really center around afraid of of game over, right, of losing our progress, and therefore also there's the fear of not having saved for a long time. So we lose that progress, and we have to do the same things again. It's a very game, a gamey game feel, uh, right? Um... And that's, that's obviously not the core of horror in video games, but those are things that are scary. And maybe the most important, I think, kind of meta fear that we need to be operating with while we play these games is being scared of being scared, afraid of being afraid, uh, which I think we accomplished uh, in quite a few of the games. And I think that that's really reinforced through this idea we have discussed a lot, which is kind of participation uh, or playing along, which a lot of the games, you know, beckon us to do and ask us to do explicitly. You know, we had Amnesia up top um, asking us to turn out the lights. Uh, We have other games having us adjust the gamma to to make it hard to see. I had that that idea of 
playing in the cold as a way of continuing on with that, uh, but also actual micro-interactions in games, like the ability to run, meaning that you can run away from something. Uh, the ability to crouch, meaning that you can crouch fearfully next to a kitchen table in anatomy. The interactions involved in closing a door, whether it's a click or an, a kind of analog swinging closed and how those impact your fear. Uh, the fear uh, involved around looking, right? Both the idea of peeking around corners, peeking through closed doors, uh, but also averting your eyes and trying not to see things that might scare you. Um, and you pointed out another one, which is that whole thing of helping, right? Helping maybe and not succeeding, the fear that you want to help and don't get it done in time. Um, then there's fear, I think, based around the camera. You know, first-person games uh, play around the idea that it's directly you in the world who is threatened. Third-person cameras, I think, speak potentially to the vulnerability of the body that you see on the screen, which is also shared, shared with you. Uh, and fixed camera perspectives, you know, the fear of not being able to see what you need to see. Um, first person and third person, too, I should say, like, there's a kind of responsibility you have to look around that can contribute to fear. Um, but I think of all of the fears I have uh, in horror games, the one that's maybe the strongest for me that is not in really in any of the games that we've played is the horror of doing something terrible myself. Um, fear of being a monster. Wednesday, the 15th of March, at 11.51 a.m. This is it. Not sure where you are, Pippin, in the stages of uh, grief and accepting the unacceptable, but this is the end. And I was surprised to hear you say a bit ago you feel you aren't particularly imaginative, and it got me thinking about how, at least with regards to horror games, um, I'll have to confess, I guess, a, a certain lack of imagination on my part. You know, I've talked for a long time, uh, just in my life, and just uh, with you over the last few months, about how horror isn't for me. And, you know, I said in my last message with regard to setting, like, it doesn't matter to me whether it's logical or fantasy or, or you know what I mean, real or fantasy. I mean, I said it doesn't matter because I think the reality is I'm always aware it's just me playing a game in front of a screen. I see an interface, and I never forget I'm playing a game. So kind of need the logic or what I was talking about in my last message to help me overcome that. And I think, you know, there's only so much a game can do versus what I can do as a willing partner. You know, we talked about turning the lights off. I forgot about playing a game in the cold. I guess because I don't know how to swim, I should try to play horror games underwater. Um, see how good I am at multitasking. Um... But I think, you know, for me, this isn't necessarily just true of horror. I think it's true of a lot of games. But I recognize, you know, as you said, the aesthetic layer here has specific demands. And I think thinking about types of fears, how they're specific to games or us as players, is a fitting way to go out. I thought of a couple others in response or sort of alongside your list. Um... I guess sort of a desire or a curiosity um, for games, horror games that explore like maybe fear of the unknown, um, fear of abandonment, 
not quite like all those survival games, um, although I definitely considered picking a few through that lens, like The Long Dark. Um, also was thinking, like, what about fear of loss of identity? Um, not the amnesia trope, but, like, you gradually lose who you are or your individuality over the course of the game. But, I mean, I think those are all probably things that are just either too complex or too difficult to convey, or maybe there's something to say about how, you know, they're all totally at odds with um, why people play games. And uh, oh, that reminds me, you know, you mentioned the fear of a game over. I mean, do I even have to say the big one? What about being afraid of uh, things ending? Death. End of messages. Thank you for calling GameFair. For more information, please hang up and dial GameThing.com. Life. Your call is important to us. While you hold for the next season, consider supporting Game Thing at Patreon.com slash other game things. Goodbye.